My name is Grace Tazlar. I serve as the missions director for Nurses Christian Fellowship. I retired last year, so um, they let me keep the title, uh, and so now I'm a retired volunteer. But the best part about being a retired volunteer is that you get to pick and choose what you want to do. And this conference has been um, a part of my my life. We have partnered with Southeast for, I think I calculated, 17 years now on the conference. So it's always a joy to see all of you um, coming here and so enthusiastic about missions and especially uh, to meet other nurses who are interested in missions as well. When I retired, I began to reflect on uh, what God had done over my career of 30-some years plus, 45 years of nursing altogether. So um, this talk is a, a little bit about what God had showed me. Obviously, you cannot condense 45 years into a, our presentation, but there's a few key lessons that I learned. And I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer first and ask his blessing on this time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those who have come to this conference and who are interested in serving you using their professional skills. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak through me and that they would have ears to hear what you are saying to them. And we ask that you would bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So in order to know a little bit about what God taught me, you need to know a little bit about what I have done. Um, I am an old-time nurse who went to a diploma school of nursing in Chicago, Illinois. It was known as West Suburban Hospital School of Nursing, and it was affiliated with Wheaton College. And so um, at one point when we did our 100th anniversary celebration, we calculated that in the 1950s, half of the missionary nurses around the world were West Suburban graduates. So I come from a great heritage for missions. Um, I graduated from there and went on to Wheaton and got my degree in biology. They were no longer offering a degree in nursing, so I decided on biology. And um, before I graduated, the director of nursing was on the line saying, um, would you like to come back and teach? We need somebody to teach with the Wheaton faculty in the health sciences area. So I got to teach anatomy, physiology, microbiology, chemistry. <laughs> and then one term I got to do clinical supervision with nursing students doing their surgical follow-throughs. And I fell in love with nursing education and went on and got my master's degree in nursing, medical surgical nursing, with a focus in women's health. That was very new back then. Um, it, but it was um, something that I could do. The program that I attended, Northern Illinois, was very big in adult education and allowing you to design your program to suit what you were interested in. I had gone into nursing thinking I would be interested in missions, but I had told the Lord, do not want to go out single. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I stayed on faculty for 13 years and during that time, I was the faculty advisor to Nurses Christian Fellowship. 
I went to the Urbana Missions Conference that InterVarsity holds um, in 73 and 76, thinking maybe God was leading me that direction. And each time he told me, no, I want you to prepare the nurses I'm going to send. So I said, okay, we'll do that. But things changed, and we became a baccalaureate nursing program, and my heart was a little unsettled, and I started praying again. And I had a, my big sis in nursing school um, was a missionary in Uganda, and I had taken over her finances. She asked me if I would come and visit her, and I said, when I finish my master's degree, I'll, I'll come see you. And I wrote her, I finished, and she said, so when are you coming? And in 1983, I went to visit her, and thinking maybe that was the door. Came home, and my parents sighed a great sigh of relief when I said, I don't think I could live like that. They had no running water. They had no electricity. There was civil war. Um, And (laughs) the next year, um, she was on home service, and I was still interested in missions, and I talked to my church agency, and lo and behold, they had an opening in Uganda. (laughs) And I asked my, my friend uh, and said, what do you think? And she said, love to have you. <laughs> so um, I said, it's not coincidence that I had visited the country and I knew what I was getting into. So in 1985, I went to Arua, West Nile, Uganda, um, to begin a community-based health care program working with the diocese there. And it was the middle of the Civil War. Um, those of you who... Uh, are a little bit younger, don't remember the Civil War in Uganda. It was, um, it was a very bad time. If you've seen the movie um, The King, Last King of Scotland that Forrest Whitaker won the Academy Award for, that was the Idi Amin era. And if you've seen the Hotel Rwanda movie, um, that was what was happening in Uganda before it happened in Rwanda. So that was what I went into. And so the first year of my time in Uganda in the West Nile, we were separated from the main city, the capital city of Kampala, um, by the war that was in between us. By 1986, the war had, um, Museveni had taken over. We had some semblance of peace. I stayed on for another couple of years. The first three years was in the West Nile. The last three years was with the Uganda Protestant Medical Bureau. And as I, the longer, well, within the first year I was there, we began to recognize that we had a major health crisis and that we had people dying of all sorts of diseases and we didn't know why. And as it turned out, it was HIV AIDS and it was the beginning of the big AIDS crisis in Uganda. So my whole career changed in Uganda because of the AIDS crisis. I went from women's health to public health and population health and working with the Uganda Protestant Medical Bureau and the Ministry of Health uh, to address that crisis. We had the church involvement and in subsequent years we've learned that uh, the success of Uganda, it's held up as one of the sub-Saharan African countries that was successful in arresting it was because we involved the church, and I was part of all of that, and at some point in time I can talk more about that. But um, the other thing that God did was 
because I had been a nurse, involved in nursing education, had a master's degree when I went to get my nursing license. Um, they didn't know how to evaluate me because they were using the British system. I talked with them, and I was in, asked by the Ministry of Health to be involved in the revision of their nursing curriculum in the beginning of the first baccalaureate nursing program in Uganda. So I got back to my education, and God didn't waste all that 13 years that I had spent in nursing education. I was ready to be either lost to Uganda forever or come home and do uh, something else. And the Lord led me home to an organization called the Luke Society, which was located in Vicksburg, Mississippi. The director then challenged me to try to do what I was doing in Uganda back here in the United States among the poor and underserved. So for the next seven and a half years, I did community health development work here, beginning community programs that promoted health and the gospel of Jesus Christ using lay health workers um, and developing that. The director of the Luke Society retired, and they moved the organization to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And at that time, I felt that I was being led to come back to the Chicago area where I had grown up. And Nurses Christian Fellowship had been a part of my life all of my career, and they asked me to join staff. So that's when I joined NCF staff. So that's a little bit of the background for the lessons learned. Um, And at any point, if you have questions, uh, feel free to um, ask them. First thing I want to talk about is selling out for God. Um, I get asked a lot about when people are interested in missions and they're thinking about where to go, is the country safe? Is it safe to go there? And I have to say that, you know, when I went to Uganda, um, if I had asked that question, I probably wouldn't have gone. It was the middle of a civil war. But I had heard and I had been raised in a Christian Reformed church. And um, the first question and the answer of our catechism says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid fully for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on, to live for him. So I, I think for me it was really important to get that settled in my heart first before I left, that if God would take me home, if I were to be killed in Uganda, it would be okay. And um, I was there to serve him, and whatever he had planned for my life, that was good. And he loved me, and he was going to take care of me. Like I said, I had a good heritage. Um, When I was a faculty advisor for the Nurses Christian Fellowship Group, when I went to that Urbana conference, we heard Helen Rosevere speak. Helen Rosevere was a British physician who worked in in what was then the Congo. And as she spoke, um, she told the story of being beaten and raped 
during the Congo Rebellion and how God had met her during that time in the verses from Philippians. Um, And she said, uh, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And she said that as she was being beaten and raped, Jesus was present there with her and told her that they were not doing that to her, they were doing that to him. And that she was sharing in his sufferings. And so that was a word to help me along my journey in surrendering my entire life to Christ. And of course, I'm a Wheaton grad, so Jim Elliott's famous saying of, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which cannot be lost. It was ever present amongst us in in school. So, being having suffering as a part of our life is is part of um, being a Christian. God does not say that we will not suffer. Last Monday, I buried my mother after a short illness. Really, she was 88 years old. But I was, as I was watching her um, go through the throes of death, I realized that death is not pretty. Those of you who have seen death as in nursing, you know it's not pretty. And it's not pretty because sin is not pretty. And that's the price of sin. But I also realized that God redeemed her suffering in allowing me to be willing to let her go to Jesus. She was ready. She said, I'm done. I want to go. We had hospice. It wasn't like it was unknown. But it was hard to let her go. And yet I just said to her, Jesus, you just take care of her now. Uh, it's time for her to go home to you. So suffering is reality. I saw a lot of it. Um, thankfully for mom, we had medications and things to ease her suffering. When I saw patients dying of AIDS in Uganda without the benefit of an aspirin, it was much, much worse. And so we are blessed to have assistance in that area. And the other thing I realized is the place of faith. Having strong faith is important. And when you do missions, you need to have faith for everything. I remember praying for for the rains to come because then we didn't have to go down the road five miles to collect our water, you know. It had a rain tank that we could fill up and and get the water from, and and that was just really special. So um, I I learned to depend on God for, for everything. Uh, as part of my missions experience. And I realized how much I have being a person living here in North America compared to my friends living in Africa and, and how much faith they have because they have to trust God for every, every detail. So growing spiritually, I, I think one of the things everybody talks about is that we grow um, so much spiritually when we go as missionaries. A lot of people say, I, I learned so much more, I gained so much more than I ever gave. And that's, that's really true. Um, but I want to talk about the difference between being and doing. I think sometimes we as healthcare professionals think that we're doing things for the Lord and we're serving him and it's all, all about what we're, we're able to accomplish and what we do. 
But I learned that it's really not about what we do as much as the person that he's creating us to be. And when you're in a civil war and there is no petrol and there is no uh, way to carry out your work and you're just waiting for <laughs> to be, um, uh, what shall I say, the word I want, when they came up and, and took over that part of the country and, and re- released us from our, our other um, re- rebels that were holding our territory. Um, it, was, it was nothing I could do but just sit there and, and wait. And, and it wasn't about doing anything other than just waiting and trusting God. And through that, I really became a different person. Uh, and so I, I just think that we often focus so much on doing and not so much on who we are becoming. And, and really the purpose of God allowing us to partner with him in missions is so that he can use that experience to help us become the people of God that he wants us to be. Relationships and community. Um, When I left nursing education, my director was not happy. She had thought that I was going to, she was grooming me to become the next director. And um, she was not happy that I was not becoming her little (laughs) clone. And I went off to Africa. So um, I I remember saying to her, we had changed the focus. I loved nursing education because I loved building into the lives of nursing students and being the NCF advisor and and helping them grow spiritually. But suddenly the focus had changed to the nursing profession, and that's what triggered um, my desire to do something else as we were fighting over whether the objective should be explain or discuss for hours. It just seemed like worthless. I said, there's, there's many people in Africa who don't have access to health care. I think that there's something better I can do. And I, as I said to her, I want to build into uh, my life, um, I want to invest in my life in things that are eternal. I don't want to invest in things that are temporal. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to need nurses. And nursing will be defunct. So if I can do something that builds into the lives of other people, that's what I want to do. So those relationships are very important, building relationships, building into other people's lives. And the importance of community is that we as a body of Christ, one of the things that Africans do very well is they live in community. They could not understand how I, as a single woman, lived alone. I mean, everybody wanted to give me a daughter or somebody to come <laughs> stay with me. She can be your housekeeper. You can pay her school fees. She can do work for you, blah, blah. But you don't, you, it's not good for a woman to live alone. You need to, be <laughs> by, you need to have somebody stay with you. Uh, they just could not understand um, how we were so individual and and I'm a high I person, so I, I really need my alone time to re- regenerate. But our, our culture is such an individualistic culture, and, and theirs is so communal that I, I came to really appreciate um, their culture and what 
that meant to live in community, how people helped one another. They had no social security. They had no social services networks. All those things that were, we, we take for granted, they're not present. And so the community has to be a part of who they are. And, they became, and during the war, that was important for me, too, because I, I needed them. I desperately needed them to help me know how to navigate and, and do all of that. Um, so community. Mistakes and redemption. One of the things um, I, I learned is that I made a lot of mistakes. If you ever try to learn another language... <laughs> You, you, it's, it, you know, you never get it right, right? So you just have to laugh at yourself and, and say, I, I make mistakes and, and try to improve on it and do better. I made cultural faux pas. I, 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 it was just, I was a mess. And yet God, the Ugandan people are very forgiving and God was very redeeming. And so um, I learned about mistakes and redemption. Um, when I make a mistake, um, I had to learn to ask for forgiveness and, and then I also had to forgive other people who made mistakes on, to me or whatever. And I learned that holding a grudge just hurts me more than it hurts anybody else. So hanging on to that is not a healthy thing. Um, but the thing I learned most of all is that God redeems our mistakes. It's amazing how he can take a mistake and be so powerful that he can turn it for his kingdom purposes. And the best example of that is the death of Jesus on the cross. Um, I think about the most terrible thing that was ever perpetrated in all of history was that Jesus had to die on the cross, and he was sinless. (coughs) We talk about evil. That was the epitome of evil. And yet if he had not done that, Excuse me. We would not have salvation. So God is a redeeming God. He is so powerful. He resurrected Jesus. We have nothing to worry about. And so when we make a mistake, say, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And, and we'll let God redeem that and be reconciled to one another. Partnerships and success. <clears throat> As I was retiring, I was asking a friend who always gave me great book recommendations, what should I read? And he, said, he was re- just retiring himself. He said, oh, you need to read Richard Rohr's Falling Upward. So I read it. And one of the things Richard Rohr talks about is allowing God to direct your life. Um, and he says the first half of our life is, is designing our basket. And the second half of our life is deciding what to put in it. And we can't put what is in it, and we can't fit everything we want to in that basket. So we have to make choices. And I thought that was very helpful to me. Um, Allowing God to work in the lives of other people. It's real easy when you're young and you're in the midst of doing healthcare missions to um, get all caught up in your work and... um, think that that's what's the most important thing. And then as you get older, you say, you know those young people coming up behind us? They really don't know what they're doing. They're making the same mistakes we made. Or, you, you know, you have this 
thing going on. And, and God said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I redeemed your mistakes. I allowed you to make your mistakes so that I, you can become the person that I wanted you to become. The next generation, I'm going to do the same thing in their lives. They're going to make mistakes, and they are going to um, ask forgiveness, and I will redeem whatever happens with them. And they are my partners in kingdom building as well. And so it has been a very freeing thing for me to say, okay, y'all, try things, you know. It's freeing. Make mistakes. Go ahead. Try new things. It'll be okay. God will redeem your mistakes, and it will be good. We often think of success in terms of what we accomplish and do we reach our goals. And we have all these measurable goals and have we, can we check off our boxes. But I think the real measure of success is just a well done, good and faithful servant from Christ when I get to be home with him. Battles and victory. Um, one of the things I learned in Africa was that I really had no appreciation for the spiritual battles that were taking place. It took a long time for me to understand that things like HIV AIDS, which is a terrible evil, because it was associated with a sexual transmit as a sexually transmitted disease for the most part, heterosexual in Africa. That that was more than just a disease taking place. There was a spiritual battle in the heavenlies. And I was so glad for the talk last night. Did you all get to hear that talk? She said what I have been saying for a long, long time. That because God has chosen to represent his relationship to the church in marital terms, anything that destroys or perverts the marital relationship is an attack on God's kingdom. And like her, I thought, here I was, out in the villages, going around the countryside, talking about sex. I thought, God has a great sense of humor. Here I am, a celibate female missionary, and I get to talk about sex to all the Ugandan men and women. I mean, <laughs> it was just crazy, you know. But I, I realized that that was important because what we were trying to do is talk about what God had ordained. And we didn't have any medication. There was no anti I mean, there's one antiretroviral at the time. And we had no other medications. And so the only thing we could do was try to prevent it. And, and even before Museveni took over, the, uh, there was Sister Miriam Duggan, who worked, uh, was a Catholic Franciscan nun, spirit-filled OBGYN doc. And there was a Southern Baptist missionary physician who was a gastroenterologist. And together they wrote a little book called Medical Science and God's Word Gives Answers to Questions Related to AIDS. The first page was just the five medical stuff. You know, how do you get it? Not, not, not. 
the rest of the book was all scripture. And part of that was to talk about Proverbs where it says that a woman or a man who goes about and, and has illicit relationships, they become thin and they waste away and they die. And as we were talking about that, everybody in Uganda said, oh, my goodness, that sounds just like slim. You know, that, that's what they called AIDS back then. And um, it sounds just like AIDS. You mean to tell me that's in the Bible? And we said, yeah. And do you hear what it's saying? It's saying it's because you're being promiscuous. Oh, well, you know, it's not normal not to be promiscuous. (laughs) And we said, yeah, you're right. It's not normal um, because we are sinful people. And then we would read Romans 7 and say that the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And I'm a real wretch because I can't do what I know that I'm supposed to do. But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. And then we were able to present the gospel message. So many people came to know the Lord. So many, as they came to, for health care for AIDS, and we talked to them about that, and they said, oh, you know, I'm so glad I got AIDS, or my family member got AIDS, because I would never have heard the gospel without it. So God redeemed the evil of AIDS to promote his kingdom. And that's the untold story of what happened in Uganda. It was God's pouring out of his Holy Spirit, convicting people of sin, and enabling them to say no uh, to promiscuity. It wasn't easy. Not all people were successful. But I really contribute that to God's work. Um, Anybody who tells you that what happened in Uganda was because of this and that, the ABC strategy or whatever, not so much. <laughs> ABC stands for abstinence, be faithful, and then condoms. When I went back um, to Uganda in 2008, I said, well, I decided that the condom thing was not right. We just needed to say Christ. And they, <laughs> at the Uganda Christian University, the students pulled out a, a little brochure. We, we're, well, we're ahead of you. And they had that on there, abstinence, be faithful, Christ. <laughs> so they, they had to figure that out, too. They didn't need me. Growing relationally, um, first of all, we need to care for people holistically. Um, God, I believe in a Trinitarian nature of God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they have a very close, tight relationship. And so he's created us in his image. And so, therefore, we are relational people. We need to have relationships And we need to treat people holistically, treating not only their body, but their soul and their mind. Matthew 24, 23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. God's image is in every person that I care for. We told Ugandans this as we were teaching about caring for people with AIDS. When you care for a person with AIDS, they bear the image of God. You are caring for Jesus in that bed because they bear God's image. On the other hand, we are also image of bearers of God. And sometimes the only way that they will see God is by the way that we care. So we have to be careful about the way we care so that we represent Jesus well. 
It's not a job. It's not the money. We are representing Christ when we are, God has allowed us to care for other people. And that's the message of Nurses Christian Fellowship, that we want Christian nurses to be caring people who represent Jesus. We need to care inclusively. That means that we use inclusive language. One of the things about missions that I hate is when people go on a trip or a short-term trip and those people did this and they did that, they don't think of themselves as, as fellow human beings that we are working together for, to build God's kingdom. We should be using we. We are all part of, of this. And, and it isn't us and them, we. And my work in Uganda, I worked really hard on, on using inclusive language. Let's do this. Let's consider this. Are we going to do that? It's not, can I do that for you? Kind of thing. God's love extends to all people, and I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm no better than anybody else. And caring respectfully. You need to treat others as you want to have them treated. You, you would like to be treated. Um, there's a lot of healthcare missions that has not been done well. I'm sorry to say. And I, I work and serve on the board for the Center for Him, Center for Health and Missions. One of our goals is to really work hard on improving missions. One of the areas that um, I, don't, I think it's getting much better because we've been talking about it for a long time. But it used to be that people would just decide that, or especially nurses, well, I'm a nurse. I'll just go over there and help those people. And I'll bring my drugs and I'll bring my little things and I'll go treat and care for people. Well, that's wonderful, except for the fact that you don't have a license in that country to practice nursing. And we don't allow other people to come to our country and practice nursing. We have poor people in this country. I worked in Mississippi. Actually, there was a problem in Mississippi, people coming down there to do health, health missions down in, in the Delta, Mississippi. And they didn't even bother to check in with the doctors who were working there. Prescribed all sorts of medications that um, were counter, and, you know, they had other medications that were not good to be mixed. And there was all sorts of problems. Because they never bothered to ask the healthcare providers in the area what they were doing. They, and of course, people who are poor, they'll go to see somebody for free, right? So, um, yeah, being careful about that and making sure that when we care overseas, that we are abiding by the laws of the land and we're doing the best healthcare that we can. And so, even before this conference, we had a, um, a pre conference on best practices. How can we do Christian healthcare missions better? Poor people are not projects. I love uh, the fact that one of the people that really spoke to me was Jayakumar Christian. He's a World Vision uh, person from India who defined poverty as the marred image of God in each of us. He says that the poor don't believe that they are created in God's image, that they have no value. The non-poor reinforce that 
because they think they are God, which is their marred image, and they have all the answers for the poor. All people are loved by God, who knows and allows us to represent him. We need to convey his love, grace, and mercy as we meet people. Finally, I think one of the things I'd like to say is um, I was really glad that God allowed me to be well prepared before I went overseas. There's a real urgency that we have to get there. (laughs) And yet I had 13 years of nursing education. I had gotten my master's degree. God used all of that to open the doors and provide me with all the things that I needed and that he needed in Uganda at the time. The curriculum development for the nursing program, but we also developed curriculum for our health workers and developed a whole set of booklets that talked about training, how do you train health work, community health workers, how do you train trainers of health workers, how do you train the facilitators of health workers, how do you train the traditional birth attendants. We, we developed all of that curriculum. I, I didn't know I loved curriculum so much until I had done it in, in the States, and then when I got there, it was, it was just a natural skill that I had, and I was able to contribute that to, to the people of Uganda. And that was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for me. So I was really glad I was well prepared. They, they had, you know, many of them now have doctorates. Many of my Ugandan friends have gone on and gotten doctorate degrees. They have a, their baccalaureate program is staffed entirely by Ugandans. It's really wonderful to see how they have advanced nursing and nursing education in their country. I had no clue about the place of culture and worldview. Um, I learned a lot about what I didn't know. Um, there's, when you teach in the village, you get all the traditional beliefs that are impeding the um, adoption of good health practices. And you can provide excellent health education, but if you don't understand the culture, it's not going to do anything. They're not going to change behavior. One of the things that we were working on was, you know, of course, everybody needs to have a latrine, right? I mean, trying to get sanitation going. And so we were put, presenting this using our best adult education methodology. And uh, one of, what you do is you do a little skit and you present the problem and you ask the questions, you know, what was happening and does that happen in our community? And, oh, yeah, that's what happens. People don't use latrines. And, well, why does that happen? Oh, well, because women lose their eggs down the latrine. And my colleague, um, my Ugandan colleague, who was teaching in the vernacular, translated that for me, and she said, yeah. And um, she had been a widow and never had any children. She used latrines. I was a white person. I used a latrine. I had no children. I, we were just living proof. <laughs> that this was the reason (laughs) you should not use a latrine. (laughs) So we had to do a little bit of backtracking and figuring out how to go about that. But we would never have known that. I would never have known that if we hadn't used good adult education methodology, if we had not 
gotten to the root understanding of the culture. And there were so many cultural beliefs about why things happen. Because in Africa, there's curses. Disease does not come from germs and things that we think of. It's, it's curses and ancestors and things like losing eggs down latrines. So culture and understanding a worldview is so important. If you're going to go, make sure you understand the culture before you start trying to change behaviors. And language learning. The benefit of going to Uganda and why everybody goes there is because it's an English-speaking country and you don't need to learn another language. There are 45 tribal languages in Uganda. And um, it, it's difficult to learn 45 languages. Um, but I did try to learn at least the greetings in, in most of them and, and, you know, some of the other common niceties. And, and often, if you were speaking a Bantu language, they could understand the other Bantu languages and the Nilotic languages were similar. So um, it wasn't as difficult as that. And they so appreciated uh, that you tried to learn the language. And they loved to make fun of you when you, you know, made a mistake. So it was great. So that's the end of what um, I have to say about lessons learned. We do have some time. Um, I thought that I would open it up for you all. Um, I, I wish that all of you have great mission experiences that God uses, as, uses you powerfully. I've said um, to students at Urbana a couple times, one of the things that I realized when I went back to Uganda in 2008 was that online nursing education should be would be an answer for many of the mission hospitals in Uganda. They, they have access to the Internet. Why don't we try educating nursing and providing continuing educations online? And a couple of years ago now, a young gal posted on the NCF website that this was her vision that God had given her. She was recruiting faculty to teach online, and she had it all lined up to do a program in Burundi. It's called Nursing International, and I was just so excited. I thought... This is exactly what I was talking about. God is answering my prayer. I think you all who are, are much better at the Internet know how to do all that stuff. Um, God's going to use that. I say that the Internet is the new Romans road as the Romans built the roads for the first church to be disseminated across um, the then known world. God is using the Internet to uh, disseminate his good news. So um, go for it. Make your mistakes. Do it. Questions? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, a great question. Um, nursing education, by its design, is, they did a study. It is the most stressful major of any majors in any university, truly. And the reason is because it's, it, it builds, and, and you have to pass every, every exam is the life and death Exam. Otherwise, you have to go back and repeat, and you're done. You lose a whole year or whatever it is because, and so that that really adds to the tension. I really wish we could change nursing education to be more competency based and and give a little more time for that. But you know, um, we nurses are the worst 
at beating ourselves up about the mistakes that we make and, and trying to be the very best. I know for years I just lived in peril that I would make a, a medication error. And oh my goodness, what would happen if I made a medication? And medication errors was if it wasn't given within 15 minutes of the assigned time. I mean, you know, really, folks, <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> and we had 30 patients. It wasn't any easier back then. We just had lots of patients. And, and I remember practicing and I would go home and, and a couple times I had the narcotics keys in my pocket and I, had, I was living out in the western burbs of Chicago. I was working in the city and I, I had to drive back all the way back to bring the keys back because you're just exhausted and it's tiring and you want to be perfect and I, I totally get that. Um, I think that we need to be much more gracious and say, you know, we are not perfect human beings, and we will, we will make mistakes and, and allow, allow for some of that. And I've had, I've had to practice that because I have very high standards for nursing. And as my mom was dying and she was, you know, people were caring for her. Some people cared for her very well, but there was one nurse that I just really struggled with, quite honestly. And, and so, but I thought to myself, no, Grace, you have to be gracious. You know, this person is also doing her, her job and trying to do the best she can. But we are notorious for beating each other up. And, and I don't know, I, yesterday I was here listening to Joji Thomas talking about creating a culture of peace. And uh, some of what we have to do is create a culture of peace and, and helping each other to understand and be a real team. The, floor, the places that I enjoyed working the most in the clinical areas when I was doing clinical nursing was um, we had a great team of folks on the surgical floor that I worked with. And you knew that if you were in trouble, you had, your other nurses had your back, and you could count on them to help you with their, your patients, and you would help them with theirs. And if you can build that camaraderie, I think it really helps them. Does that make sense? I don't know if that answers your question, but okay. You mentioned just briefly being respectful to the government and other medical professionals when you're over there, not overstepping your boundaries, not working outside your scope of practice. Um, how do you see roles like nurse practitioners um, that aren't recognized by other countries, um, like medical doctors? How can we use uh, full scope of education? to influence and, and do more than nursing, um, but still be respectful. Yeah. Um, how can I? Healthcare missions has provided the foundation for many of the healthcare systems around the world. Um, we, we have begun medical schools, nursing schools. We have trained nurses. Um, and educated nurses. Um, there are lots of educated people. My colleagues in Uganda, I, my first uh, Ugandan counterpart was a Ugandan nurse midwife, and my second counterpart was a health visitor who had been educated in England. So there are nurses in country who are really excellent. Now, there are 
places where their education might be a little weak. One of those areas is in critical thinking. And so lots of what I get as missions director for Nurses Christian Fellowship is requests from governments and mission organizations wanting nursing educators who can help teach critical thinking skills. So I think the difference is that if you go to practice, don't just go to practice, but go to teach and practice. I mean, people will learn from you and be able to do that. You may, it depends on the country about the nurse practitioner thing. Um, I think uh, if you are a nurse practitioner, you obviously have good assessment skills and you have good uh, diagnostic kinds of skills. A lot of nurses are manning clinics on their own. They would benefit from time with you to teach them how to manage patients and how to make the, the diagnoses and things that you need to make. You as a nurse practitioner need to be really up on your diagnostic skills because you do not have access to all the labs and the x-rays and all of that that might be out there. So um, I worked with an um, internal medicine doc that was one of the best, the best diagnostician I have ever had a chance to work with. He was the medical director of Kulava Hospital, and he had, we didn't have electricity except for three hours a day. If you needed an x-ray, you needed to come back at night when they were running the generator. <laughs> and so his skills were just phenomenal. Um, if he needed a lab, he did it himself. So um, having that kind of ability and then teaching that to somebody else so because the problem is, is that we never know how long we're going to be there. And if you can leave your knowledge with others, then you know that the care will continue for the people. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I'm just nervous knowing when it's okay to write those scripts, you know, those prescriptions or you know, handing certain medications and when it's... Yeah, again, that really depends on the country and what the legal status, I mean, what it takes to write a prescription. I know in Uganda I could go into any pharmacy and buy any drug I wanted to. Um, there, most of the physicians, the hospitals didn't have, the government hospitals didn't have the medications. They would send the families out and say, go to the pharmacy and buy this medicine. So, I mean, if you're in that situation, it's a different Uh-huh. We're finding that when we go there and use, and a lot of times the local doctors will join us. Uh-huh. Uh, they have different practices uh-huh. than we do, and we always take a pharmacist with our own, uh, all of our own medications, and they will write scripts that are totally contrary to what is appropriate for the United States. How do we balance that? Has anybody ever had that situation? I, 
I guess I have lots of questions, and I'm not ready to answer that because that has not been part of my experience. But I, I, I guess one of the questions I have is who determines what is proper and what isn't? Is it our country standard, or is it the Guatemalan standard? And, and you, there's, there's standards of practice in every country, and I, if you have not investigated what those standards are, then make sure you do. Yeah. The doses were so much higher. Okay. And he, he just said, I can't do it. I actually question why people take medicines on short-term missions trips. Um, I, I will tell you, when I worked with the Ugandan Protestant Medical Bureau, which oversaw all of the pro- health care work done in Uganda by the Protestant churches, we... We were part of the joint medical stores, and we had medications that were donated to us. Not only donated from the United States, donated from Germany, donated from the Netherlands, donated from Italy, donated from India, donated from Japan, donated from you know who knows where. And all of the boxes were labeled in their native languages. And trying to figure out how to use that medication properly in Uganda, given the situation, was a real major problem. So the World Health Organization came out with their essential drug list. And they said, don't bring drugs into the country unless they are on the country's essential drug list. So number one, if you're bringing drugs into the country, do not bring them if they are not on the essential drug list. You need to make sure that they are not expired. And what happens when people have extra drugs after they're done with their little missions trip is they give them to somebody in country to keep. And you know where they end up? In the market. Because medicine in Africa is considered equivalent to what the witch doctor gives you. And blue pills may be for boys and red pills for girls and big pills for adults and little pills for children. And you have no concept of how people are understanding the medications that you are giving them or how to take them. So those of us who are involved in best practices, and my dear friend Arnie Gorski over there has written papers on that. It is on our website about what should be best practices for bringing medications into countries. Do not think that because we have good practice here. Um, one of the big problems in Uganda, the other thing was the combination drugs. We have a lot of combination drugs. I have a little bit of high blood pressure. I got a drug that is an ACE inhibitor and a diuretic, Okay. You've just combined two drugs into one pill, and it may or may not be appropriate, and and the dosage may or not be right. So we have all sorts of complications when it comes to pharmaceuticals, and and that is a huge, huge issue in healthcare missions. You need to follow government guidelines. You need to make sure that it's right. Okay? Other questions? I think we have Mike. Are we five minutes? Are we over? Five minutes. Okay. 
Yeah. It's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I'm here just like you all. I'm saying, okay, Lord, um, I have done what you've asked me to do, and I have safely delivered mother into your arms. Now what? Um, so I don't know what God has next for me. Um, I, don't, I don't think that going back to Uganda is the answer. Um, there are incredibly qualified African physicians, nurses, people who are, are doing great work there. And I left in 1991 when we could park our car in the middle of the road in Kampala and run into the post office and get our mail. And now you can't budge for all the traffic in Kampala. And the biggest cause of death in, in Uganda right now is the Boda Boda drivers with their motorcycles and the, as, as you know, taxi service. So um, I, I, I think it would be very difficult for me to, to adjust. When I was there last time, I kept asking my friends, where am I? Because I didn't recognize what, all the changes that had taken place. So I, I think, you know, for me, um, the Center for Health and Missions and, and the Christian Journal for Global Health and some of those issues that I'm passionate about are going to probably fill my, my time. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I wasn't Oh. <laughs> you had mentioned, you know, going in and like teaching, you know, in answer to his question yeah. is so important um, rather than just practicing. Can you just talk a little bit about like the, the paternalistic um, mentality that sometimes, you know, comes along with the good, you know, education we get here and just how you've addressed that and just what attitude, you know, we can go in with to just help that relationship in teaching? Yeah. Um it's really easy to get a big head and think that, you know, you're God's gift to, to the, the healthcare system of whatever country. And, and I, I, I really um, was blessed to have two incredible Ugandan colleagues who, you know, my job was to work myself out of a job and get them ready to take over. And so um, anytime I could, I was deferring to them. And making sure that uh, they they were the ones who were making the decisions and and, and communicating and doing that. So um, it wasn't me. It wasn't dependent on me. It was always with them. So I I highly recommend um, finding a bridge person or you whatever person. I will say that in terms of the nurse practitioner thing, there's one area that I will say. Um, we need to practice overseas, and that is in midwifery, and especially in the areas of limited access countries. I think um, access to women and women's health, um, because they are secluded away in their homes, is very difficult. And as a midwife um, and a, a person who cares for women, um, that gives you access, and it really open stores like nothing else would. So if you're going to practice, if you're really bent on practicing, um, being a, a nurse midwife is, is really cool. I know it's difficult for you. <laughs> but I, there, I get asked a lot for, for midwifery, obviously, in countries like Pakistan, uh, Afghanistan, um, India, some of those places. Um, yeah. 
Other questions? Any? We got one more if you have it. Yeah. 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 This is just purely my recommendation. God might have other ideas. And part of my job is to work with individuals and discern where God is, is calling you. But if you are a nursing student and you're interested in missions, <coughs> usually I say um, finish your schooling, pass your boards, <laughs> um, take a year or two, um, and get some experience under your belt. If you want to practice in missions, practice in an area that is serving people of a different culture than your own birth culture so that you get to understand a cross-cultural dynamic. There are lots of places in the United States that need nurses to do that. Check out my friends at Christian Community Health Fellowship and their clinics across the country. And you will learn a lot about moving cross-culturally as well as getting experience. At the same time, be talking to mission organizations, sending organizations, and see how what might be a fit for you. One big thing to consider is your own church. Um, my, I was blessed. I... I Grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. When I went, I was think, talking to a couple of mission organizations, their statements of faith didn't necessarily um, always coincide with my church's teaching. And I had a hard time thinking that I would ask my church to support me to do something that was not in agreement with their statement of faith. So I went to my pastor. He said, why don't you talk to our people? <laughs> Oh, that's a novel idea. So I did, and yeah, I mean, that's how I got to, to Uganda. But um, do check things out carefully. You need to check out policies regarding what, to, what, what the mission says if you were kidnapped or if there's a civil war or what, how they handle emergency evacuations. Um, if you're married, you want to check out to see what happens and what kind of services they have for you and your husband or your spouse. And, and your family members, and what happens if there's infidelity? How do they handle those things? Do they have counseling available? Because missions is stressful, and, and there are those kinds of situations that do occur. So check them out carefully. What is their financial structure? Do they have money to continue to support you? Do they have health benefits? Do they have retirement benefits? Um, if you're going long-term, those are all very important questions. So make sure you check that out. I did write a little book a long, long time ago called Caring Across Cultures. It's available from the Nurses Christian Fellowship website if you are interested. Um, I have a chapter in there on how to select a, a sending agency. And there's some information on our website about that, too. Okay? Thank you so much for coming. It's been delightful to have you.